Come on, church, make this place an altar. You know, the beauty of that song is not saying that singing makes this place an altar. Worshiping God makes this place an altar. The beauty of God is it doesn't have to be here to be an altar, but God meets you where you are. When you praise God in the midst of your trials, you are making this place an altar, which is great because it means that that altar never leaves you. It doesn't have to wait for Sunday. It doesn't have to wait for Wednesday or some special revival, but you have an altar always where you can meet God. I'm so glad to get to stand before you again tonight. And at this time, let's go ahead and dismiss all those who need to be dismissed, our, our kids, our youth, and anybody else. And I'm sorry I didn't, uh, wasn't here last Wednesday, wasn't really feeling well, but tonight we're going to wrap up our series on Connect, Grow, Serve, and Lead. So while everyone is making their way to where they need to go, if you will open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read this passage twice. I'm going to read it first in the King James, and then the second time I'm going to read it from the Amplified. And I'll explain a little bit as we go along. But join me in Matthew 28, starting in verse 19. It says this, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now one more time, same passage from the Amplified. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion even to the end of the age. You may be seated. Now, many of you who know me know that I, I like to read from the King James, and there's a lot of people who struggle sometimes with the King James because of the, uh, the, the floweriness, if you will, of the, the language. It's sometimes a little more poetic from the time frame that it was written in. But I always think it's important that when you are reading a passage, you don't draw your theology from just looking at the English words in one little verse and making an entire theology around that. Sometimes you have to kind of dig a little deeper, understand the context of who's being spoken to and what's being spoken about. And then it's helpful sometimes to even just go back and look at the original word that was used there to determine the meaning. Now, as I went back and looked up this phrase here, go ye therefore and teach all nations. The, the Greek word, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, that is used there literally means to instruct, or to make disciples, or to train up. So this concept of teach all nations is much more than just speaking, much more than just teaching them a lesson or just preaching them a message. But when it's talking about teaching all nations, it's literally saying that you need to instruct them in how they are to follow the commandments of God. Amen. And when you instruct somebody, when you teach somebody, the best way to teach is always by example. Your words have a much smaller effect than your actions do. People will see your actions and more, like to, more likely imitate that than they will just the words that you speak. Now, over the last three weeks, we have discussed the importance of connecting, 
and staying connected. Let me lower this down just a little bit. So last three weeks, we discussed the importance of connecting and staying connected with God. We then discussed what faith is and why we are called to continue to grow in our faith. Last week, if you were here, you heard a great message by Pastor Powell on our call to serve. Tonight, I want to discuss the final pillar in TCOO's foundation, and that is our call to lead by example. But you know, as I, as I started to prepare this message... I began to ask myself some questions, as I always try to do whenever I'm studying for anything. I, I want to dig a little deeper. And so I began to ask myself, what does it mean to lead by example? And more importantly, what is the purpose for leading by example? Or that is to say, why is leading by example so important that we put it as kind of the one, one of the four pillars of our philosophy within this church? You see, it's pretty easy to understand why we need to connect with God. Without connection, there is no sal salvation, there is no power. It's easy to understand the call to grow in faith, because if you aren't growing, by default you are withering or dying. It's easy to understand the call to serve, and I believe this church does a good job of connecting people in, in the service aspect. We, we often, every month, we... Uh, uh, honor those who have served for the month, our volunteer of the month. We talk a lot about service. But why is leading then, by example, so important to our walk with God? In our opening verse, we saw the final command given to the disciples by a resurrected Jesus. The command being to go forth and make disciples. This message is further expounded in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus tells his disciples that it would be the Holy Ghost that would empower them to carry out his mission. So tonight I want to title this message just simply, Call to Make Disciples, Lead by Example. The two go hand in hand. Now before we go any further, I need to point out two very important things concerning CGSL. And just for a reminder, CGSL is Connect, Grow, Serve, and Lead. The first thing you have to understand about CGSL is that it is a continuous thing. Meaning that we connect with God in salvation, but we also must stay connected to God. When we go through a struggle, we can look back and see how that struggle has helped us to grow in our faith. But we are called to continue to grow in our faith. As long as you draw a breath, you must continue to grow. Likewise, being called to serve must be a lifestyle. We must never reach a place in our walk with God where we say, well, I've done enough serving now. I'll let the next generation handle it. I can sit back and coast on into heaven and not worry about anything else. The truth is, is that serving must be a lifestyle. Amen. As long as God gives me strength in my bones, I am called to serve. We will discuss more um, about the continuous process of leading by example in a little bit. But the second thing you must understand concerning CGSL is that it is a progressive process. What I mean by that is this. Each pillar builds on the previous pillar. You cannot grow in faith if you aren't first connected to God. You cannot serve without having faith. Now you can do tasks. You can be busy. But to serve involves the heart as much as it does the action. True serving is done with the intent of furthering the kingdom, not for self-recognition. 
Likewise, you can't lead by godly example if you are not first connecting, growing, and serving in your own life. All right, now with all of that foundation laid, let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. What I'm hoping to demonstrate to you tonight is this. We can lead by example because Jesus first led by example. So we're going to pick up here in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. And again, I want to demonstrate to you that the reason we can lead by example is that Christ first led by example. Matthew 3.13 says this, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Highlight verse 15. If you don't want to highlight it in person, make a little mental note in your head, because I'm going to come back to that in just one second. Then he suffered him, verse 16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lightning upon him, or enlightening upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I can understand John's confusion when Jesus came to him and asked to be baptized of John. John recognized that this was the one that was foretold, who was prophesied, whose shoes he wasn't even worthy to latch, put the latch on to tie, we would say in today's vernacular. He understood that there was no need for him to baptize Jesus because Jesus had no sin. The part of baptism was to wash away or to remit sin. But what Jesus says in verse 15 is the key to this whole thing. I'm going to paraphrase here, but what he said is this, is that I know you, don't, you, know, you know that I don't need to be baptized. I know you know that I don't need baptism. But so that I can be an example for all others, I'm going to do it. You see, Jesus never asked his followers or us to do anything that he was not willing to first do himself. Christ asked us to be baptized Christ asks us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And what do we see Jesus doing right before the beginning of his earthly ministry? Being baptized. And then we have the symbolic dove, which represents the Spirit of God, coming upon Jesus. Now, Jesus had no need to be filled with the Spirit because he already was full of the Spirit. He was already both God and man. He was already the full God as well as a human at the same time. Jesus did not need baptism. He did not need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But he knew that if he was ever going to have a people that were going to be willing to die for him, to follow him to wherever it led them, that he would first have to lead them by example. And this is what he did. It is our sin that causes us to be separated from the Spirit. But Christ had no sin and thus was at no point separated from the Spirit. Despite all of this, Christ was baptized, and we see the symbolic dove descending on him, because Christ was and is our connection, or our example in connection. Remember the first part, connecting to God. We do that through salvation. That is how we first connect with God. We stay connected through the Spirit dwelling within us. Jesus shows us the very example of what it means to be connected. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, 
He was afterward and hungered. Immediately after Jesus demonstrated what it means to connect with God through salvation, we see him go into the wilderness to face a trial. Now, I imagine that probably all of us in this room have heard um, the story of Jesus tempting, or of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. I'm sure many of us can, can quote some of these verses, but if you need a refresher, go back and read through this in verses 3 through 10. But for now, I just want to jump to verse 10 because I want to show you what is happening here. In verse 10, we see Jesus respond to the final temptation by Satan. And this is what he says. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the seas beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of, in the shadow of death, light is sprung up. You see, because Jesus was in constant connection with the Spirit, he was not only able to resist the devil, but was now in a position to be the light to those in darkness. Christ demonstrated that being connected with God allows our trials to be turned into opportunities for us to grow in faith. I hope you see a pattern of what's taking place here. First, God demonstrated connection through being baptized and letting the Spirit fall like a dove on him. Then he demonstrated what it means to grow in faith by taking trials and letting it strengthen him. Now we pick back up in verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, after connecting with the Spirit, after growing in faith, verse 17 tells us that he then began to serve others. The purpose of serving is to advance the kingdom, which is what Jesus was doing. So when we teach Bible studies, when we witness to others, when we invite people to church... We are serving because we are seeking to advance the kingdom. Now, finally, let's get to verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he, saw, and he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We went from connection to growing to serving and now we arrive at our title, called to make disciples, leading by example. What we see play out over the rest of Christ's ministry is very intentional leading by example. The first thing you must know about leading by example is that it is very intentional. You don't accidentally disciple others. You must be intentional in your actions, in your words, in the way you treat others. Leading by example is an intentional function doesn't happen by accident. He endured persecution and responded with grace. I love this. So, so Jesus not only taught the disciples what they were to do, right? Jesus lived it out. When we see all the stories of the parables, we realize that Jesus actually lived out everything that he taught, right? He, he responded to the persecution that he suffered with grace. He repaid evil with good. 
He was instant in season and out. He was faithful in all areas. He was holy. He gave with a cheerful heart. He was patient and kind. He called out sin when it needed to be called out. He was righteous without being rude. Might say that one one more time. He was righteous without being rude. Sometimes our emotions can get the better of us. Trying to deal with others. Dummy, how do you not realize what you're doing is wrong? But the patience and grace that Jesus showed his disciples and us was so that we can then respond in kind by showing righteousness without being rude. He was truly invested in the success of others. He was and is and will continue to be our example in all things. Now turn with me to John chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 4. And as you turn there, let me set the stage for you. John 15, starting in verse 4. Jesus preached a message in chapter 15 to his disciples. Now this message occurred in Jerusalem. What I found very interesting about this passage, and it's not just this chapter, it's a small section of chapters, but this is his last ministerial stop before he would be taken prisoner and crucified. This is his last hurrah, if you will, of having the chance to witness, to teach, and to preach to others. So what message did Jesus then impart to his disciples as one of his final messages? Let's pick up in John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abideth not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Kind of sounds like what Jesus is saying here is that you must be connected to Jesus, and that you must stay connected to Jesus. For the vine that is separated from Jesus can no longer be alive. And if that vine remains, or if that branch remains unconnected, at some point it will be cast into the fire. It's kind of a scary thought. It flies in the face of a lot of modern day theology that says once saved, always saved. That you just get saved once and then live your life and do however wicked you want. That's not the, one of the messages that Jesus preached in his final hours. He said, if you do not abide, which means continually, if you do not continually live in me, you will wither and be cast into the fire. Pick up now in verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. I want to glorify the Father. I want to glorify God. Amen. Verse 8 says, herein is my Father glorified. That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. How? By bearing fruit. What he's saying here is to glorify the Father, you must bear fruit. But here's the thing about bearing fruit. He already explained that the, the branch cannot bear fruit of its own accord, but that it can only bear fruit if it is connected to the vine. Now, I remember a story where Jesus comes to a fig tree, and the, the fig tree was grown, had all these beautiful leaves all over it, but it had no figs. And Jesus spoke to the tree, cursed it, and it withered away. Because you see, 
bearing fruit means the tree, and specifically in this case the branch, is still alive. It is still growing. It is growing in faith. See, growing in faith can be demonstrated by your production of fruit. Why? When you think about what fruit you are bringing forth, patience, right, love, joy, all of these things, it is an outshoot of your connection with God. The closer you are connected to God, the more you grow in your understanding of who God is, the more you grow in your attitudes and your lifestyles toward God, the more you become like God. Therefore, the, the, the fruit that you produce is like God. Love, joy, peace, meanness, temperance, all those things. But if you are not growing in faith, there is a connection problem somewhere along the line. Now go back to verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now pay special attention to verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were trying to trip him up, and they said, which, which of Moses' commands is the greatest? How does Jesus respond? He says, two commands he'll give them. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto the first, that you would love others as yourself. The two great commandments that fulfilled the, the Old Testament was love, loving God and loving others. You see, but he says here that the way that you demonstrate your love for God and others is through your service. No greater love hath any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Now, oftentimes we read this verse and there is a direct connection to what Christ is about to do. There's a very uh, direct connection. But it also just as much means that we are a living sacrifice, that we continually are putting our life aside for others. That is what it means to be a servant. It is a heart. It is a mindset. It is a lifestyle. Serving is less to do with just the action as much as it is the intention behind the action. Now, I'll come back to that here in just a minute. Pick up in verse 18. Verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world... Therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Go down to verse 25. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. 
Now, I find it interesting in this passage here, as he's kind of talking about these different things, about loving others and, and how God loved them and how that no greater love hath anyone than he laid down his life and he's the vine. Why this huge passage here about the world hating him and therefore hating you and the world persecuting you because it first persecuted him? Why is he going so far in depth with this? Remember, Christ is trying to prepare the disciples for what was to come. Soon he knew that he would be crucified and he would leave them behind. And they were going to have a job to carry out the Great Commission. He needed them to understand that in their journey they would be rejected. But that they should know that the rejection was not personal, but spiritual. The darkness of this world cannot stand the light of Jesus' righteousness. Jesus was yet again demonstrating how they are to lead by example. In that they are to love the lost souls of this world even if they are rejected and even if they are persecuted. I want you to think about this for a moment. This would be an easy conversation to have if we were all, you know, friends and we're sitting around the living room by a fire with our hot cocoa drinking and I was just telling, yeah, guys, you know, we should live for God and we should try to win other people and we should be nice to them even if they're not super nice to us. And we knew that the next day was going to be like today. We were just going to go on and, and work our jobs and do our normal life. That's one thing. But you have to understand what's taking place in this moment within Scripture. Jesus knows that it won't be but a little bit and he will be betrayed. It won't be but a little bit and he will be nailed to a cross by the very people that he came to save. So when Jesus tells them to love the world, even if the world hates you, he was doing it with the full intention that he knew he was going to be hanging on a cross, nailed to a tree while they mocked him, while they spit at him, while they betrayed and laughed at him. And yet while he was suffering this, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Talk about leading by example. It's easy when there's no risk, when there's no risk of persecution, there's no risk of suffering the betrayal of someone else. It's easy to stand up here and tell you to live out these values. But Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand that this world will hate you. You will suffer. But know that it is not you they hate. It is me that lives in you that they hate. But you must love them even though they hate you. So when we say leading by example, we're talking about leading by Christ's example. That's a tall order to feel sometimes. Because we're still human and we have emotions and we have feelings and sometimes they get hurt. We don't want to treat others the way that Christ would treat them. We want to treat them the way they treated us. That's not the example that Christ set forward. Turn with me for one final passage reading in Matthew chapter 28. What I have done here thus far is I've, I've given you a little bit of a, a capstone of what Christ was doing. I read to you in the very beginning of his ministry how that he was connected, how he grew in faith, how he immediately served others, and that how he led by examples when he called the disciples. I then read to you now this final message that he preached to his disciples, reminding them of all the same things yet again. And now we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, 
It is the end of the Sabbath day. Jesus had been crucified and now he is resurrected. And he is about to come to, the, to his disciples for one final time. Listen what it says here, Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, honestly, I could preach an entire message just from those six verses alone. There are times that we feel like our own walk, our own ministry is dead. But Christ is here to tell you that he is a God of resurrection. He is a God of restoration. He is a God that says stop looking in the past in the tomb where dead things lay. And look to me where there is life and hope and restoration. Verse 7, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. Now jump down to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And he, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Make a mental note right here of this, of this phrase. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach, make disciples, as we discover that's what that means, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the world, to the end of the world. Amen. Now, if you would allow me to give you just a little commentary on this last section of 16 through 20. The ones who had heard and watched Jesus' examples and all things, the 11, they went to the place where Jesus told them he would appear after his resurrection. If you go back to Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus told them that after he was resurrected, he would meet them in Galilee. So it wasn't by coincidence or accidents that the angels told them that that's where they were to go, to go to Galilee. Jesus had promised that he was going to rise again, and that he would meet them there. Jesus again demonstrated that he not only had power over sickness, he not only had power over, over those who were possessed, but no, he had power over death itself. Now that Jesus had accomplished all things that he said he would, he gave the eleven their marching orders. The ultimate way that the disciples were to show that they truly were followers of Christ was by imitating Christ in making disciples. And the way they were to make disciples is leading by example, just as Jesus had done for them. That's why I, I told you to make that highlight, that mental note, where he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus was saying, I have fulfilled everything that I told you I was going to do in this earthly ministry. 
I told you how that, that the lame would be healed, how the blind eyes would be opened. I told you how that I would be betrayed. I told you that I would be persecuted. I even told you that I was going to be crucified and the third day I would rise again. Now I have fulfilled everything that I have said. Now you should know that I have all power and all authority both in earth and in heaven. And my command to you after now that you know I have all that authority, here's my command. Go make disciples. He didn't say go and hide somewhere in a church by yourself alone and just praise and shout all the time and do nothing. No, he said go and make disciples. Why? Because it again goes back to the heart of Jesus. That his commandments, that his things always spring out of love. And he loved the world so much that he gave. He didn't just love TCOO so much that he gave. He didn't just love the 11 disciples so much that he gave. But he loved the world so much that he gave. What did he give? First, he gave Christ to be our example in all things. But then he gave the world the church. We are now the messengers to this world. We are now the gift to a lost and dying world. because Not because of us, but because we are imitating Christ. We are showing the love of Christ through our lifestyle, leading by example. All right, so I have four last little points here. And these four last little points is sometimes when we talk about these lofty ideas, we talk about lead by example, and those are kind of, that can mean a lot of things. Sometimes it's helpful to have some application to it, to understand what does that mean, what are we to do with that. So if you will allow me, I want to bring out four areas that you can work on to make sure that you are leading by a godly example. So these four areas are areas that all of us have to work on continuously. And you'll see why here in a second. So the first area that we all need to work on and that is crucial to us leading by example is relationships. The easiest way to turn people away from God is how you treat others. You see, you can stand behind this pulpit and preach a great message. You can sing in the choir and have a beautiful voice. You can teach Bible studies. You can knock a million doors. But if you are rude and hateful toward others, that message will speak much louder than any sermon you preach, any song you sing, or any lesson you teach. People will take away from you much more by what you do than what you say. How you treat someone should not be dependent on what position they hold in the church. If you are nice and respectful toward Pastor Powell, but then are rude to Brother Bob, there's no, I don't, there's, there's no Brother Bob's in here, so I'm just choosing an arbitrary name. If you are rude to Brother Bob because he doesn't hold an office, you're a hypocrite. I, I know that's heavy. I've been guilty of it. We all have those moments where he's the pastor or the, he's the guest speaker. And he, he's an evangelist. He's the head of the UPC. He is this, 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 and this. Our natural inclination sometimes is to treat them differently than we would our brother sitting next to us that we see all the time. But the truth is, Jesus had to correct this spirit with his disciples over and over and over again. Times that he knew in their own heart they were arguing and bickering about who was going to be the greatest. 
Who would be first in the kingdom? And Jesus said, no, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be last. God is not a respecter of persons. And so we, in our relationships, must treat everyone the same. And I hope you understand, by me saying this, I am not saying that you have to put yourself in a position where you're going to be hurt or abused. I'm not saying you have to put yourself in a position where you're just going to let people walk over you all the time and have no recourse. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm speaking to here is the heart. I'm speaking here to how you look at others around you. Do you value people who are in church more than you value the lost soul on the street? And if you do, your values are kind of backwards. Because remember, the church is the gift to a lost world. Therefore, we should be on our best behavior in the world. We should be, we always should be like God, but we should be most Christ-like when we're at work, when we're in the world, when we're with friends who don't have the Holy Ghost, because that is us leading by example. And I want to lead a godly example. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Not because he enjoyed foul language, not because he enjoyed bad attitudes, but because he knew that they needed salvation just as much as anyone else. That is the way we have to be in our relationships. The next area that we have to uh, lead by examples, or example is faithfulness. We have to be faithful to God, faithful to the body of Christ, and faithful to our own families. In this life, you will have troubles, but we are told to be of good cheer because Jesus has already overcome the world. Now, speaking on faithfulness, in biology, there is a, a phrase that encapsulates the, the main response to fear or stress. It is that sympathetic nervous system response, that almost instinctive reaction that you will do automatically. And the three words that are used are fight, flight, or freeze. It is the natural gut reaction that we all have that we will do one of those things. We will fight, we will run away, we'll flight, or we will freeze whenever faced with confrontation or in moments of high stress. Now, let me explain what these translate into the church. The response of flight is a person who responds to spiritual matters with a worldly response. Think like Peter. Peter had already been told by Jesus the things that were going to happen. And yet when, a, when they came to take Jesus away, what did he do? He responded in the flesh. He pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of one of the guards. His response was fight. That's why he was so brash and so crass toward people. He responded to spiritual matters with a physical, human, carnal response. These people are most likely to say hurtful words when they feel attacked. They often instinctively hurt others when they feel hurt. Many times they are sharp-tongued, short-tempered, and easily offended. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing these out to you, the reason why I want to show you these personalities is because that we are supposed to be spiritually driven and not fleshly driven. So if one of these areas seems to match you, it is not me condemning you. It is me telling you that you, just like I, have to work on our flesh. We have to learn to temper our response away from the fight, flight, or freeze and respond like Jesus. In the flight response, we often will see a person who avoids conflict like the plague. 
a person who finds it easier to avoid a stressful situation than confront it head on. These are the people most at risk for quitting church if there is conflict. These are also the people who flee after they have sinned because they are easily overcome with a sense of guilt for their mistakes and find it easier to run away than to deal with the consequences of their actions. Finally, freeze. This is the person who may faithfully come to church but never step out of their comfort zone. They are afraid of failure and that fear causes them to stay stagnant in their walk with God. It becomes easier for them to just maintain where they are without ever striving to go deeper. It's easier for this person to sit on a pew and never take a risk of being hurt by others. Never take a risk of failing in an endeavor. These are the three fleshly responses. But that's not how we are to respond. When we are hurt, we are to respond with grace and mercy. Someone despitefully uses us, we are to repay evil with good. It's kind of like I just said, Jesus did all of those things. And that that's how we are to be. Now understand that we are all still human. Not a single soul in this church lives that out perfectly. Because we all have our human flesh. We all have our moments of weakness where we say things we shouldn't. Or we become a, a fearful of, of hurting others so we just avoid them altogether. Those are human fleshly responses. And we have to work on our example. Because remember, the disciples that we are raising up are going to be much more likely to imitate our actions than our words. So if we respond to the preacher when we get offended out of anger and we start back-talking behind the pastor's back, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he, you know, he did this or he did that, blah, 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 blah. What we are doing is we are raising up a disciple who now will instinctively respond in the same manner. I don't want to have that on my conscience. I don't want to have to stand before God and him say, you led by example, all right. Just not my example. The third area of growth, holiness. Holiness is the first and foremost, or holiness is first and foremost, a condition of the heart. It is easy to model outward holiness. But true holiness goes much deeper than just what we wear on the outside. Are you holy in your conversations? Are you holy in your hobbies? And this includes, do you place your hobbies above your walk with God? What about your habits? Holiness is not just a list of rules you follow. Holiness is a heart condition. So are you modeling holiness to those around you? Again, it's easy in the, in the confines of these four walls to put on a good mask and pretend to be holy, but are we holy at work? Are we holy in the conversations we have with friends who don't know Jesus, who don't go to church? We must be holy in all of our lifestyle. And finally this, growth. One of the most important things you can model for a new disciple is continued growth. What I mean by that is every one of us must continue to grow. We are not perfect, and we should not pretend to be. The greatest disservice you can do to those you are leading is pretending that you have no flaws. Part of the beauty of this Christian walk is sharing where God brought us from. 
And not just that, but that he can do the same for those that we are discipling. We must be willing to share the mistakes that we've made and the lessons we have learned from them. Discipleship is a lifelong process. Discipleship is not something that you do for three weeks when you teach someone a Bible study and boop, they're a disciple now and that's it. Discipleship is an investment. When Christ brought his disciples around him, he spoke to them very differently than he did with the general masses. He often spoke in parables to the large crowds. Why? Because they had no relationship with Jesus and therefore they could not tolerate or bear the harder things that Jesus needed them to understand. But when, the Bible says when he was alone with his disciples, he didn't speak in parables to them. He spoke plainly. Why was that? Because he knew uh, if you go back to when Jesus was talking about manna from heaven, and he was telling them about how um, God provided manna from heaven in the wilderness, he then said that he was that manna. He is the bread of life. And all those extra disciples, the ones who didn't really have a close relationship, who weren't invested in a connection with Jesus, walked away because that saying was too hard. But Peter, when he was asked, are you going to leave? Peter said, where can I go, Lord? You're the only one who have the words to eternal life. They were invested in their relationship with Christ. And because of that relationship, Christ knew that he could speak to them in a different way than he could speak to the masses. Understand that your call to be a disciple maker comes with responsibility. Often you have cultivated and developed a relationship with someone in such a way that you can speak into their life and produce change in them. But what that means is that you have to be modeling a godly lifestyle or you're going to cultivate a lifestyle in them that is not godly. Let's all stand. Tonight, it was much more teaching. And that's okay. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we just need some application. Because the purpose of CGSL, the purpose of Connect, Grow, Serve, and Lead is to equip the body of Christ that we may reach a lost and dying world. We say that we're a place where everyone can experience hope and healing. But the way that they come to experience that hope and healing is by people within this church who are connected to God, who are growing, who are serving, and then who are also reaching out to others who are becoming disciple makers, who are bringing others into the flock and showing them how that they can connect, grow, serve, and then finally lead by example. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for the opportunity that you have entrusted us with the responsibility to, to speak into other people's lives. But you have empowered us with the Holy Ghost that when we are persecuted, when we are uh, mistreated, that the Comforter resides within us. Let us continue to make our heart an altar. Let us continue to worship you so that we will be more like you. So that we can truly model what it's like to be a Christian. To be those of the way, the singular way, your way, not our way or the world's way but let us model a godly lifestyle for others. Lord, I pray as we leave this place, you would give us protection. Those who are sick, that you would provide healing. We love you and thank you and give you all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. They're going to play a song as you're talking and leaving, but feel free, you're dismissed at this point.